The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning and welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with Carl Quintanilla and John Fort. Today on the show, Adam Aaron charms the pants off retail investors. We break down the monkey business that is now known as the ape trade. Then a Bitcoin breakup. Why Musk meme, a Musk meme is worrying the crypto crowd this morning. And we'll go live to Miami. Later, an axe back. Bill Ackman has been looking for a dance partner. Will Universal Music hit the right note? We'll discuss. John? Yeah, well, let's talk about some tech, too. Three stocks to watch on the move at this hour. Shares of Asana and DocuSign getting a boost this morning after strong earnings results. Uh, high growth names that are seeing momentum continue. While PagerDuty beats on the top, not as much the bottom goes the other way. The CEOs of all three of those companies this hour with exclusive interviews right here on Tech Check. Carl? John leading the charge this morning. The Ape Army marching on. AMC CEO Adam Aaron embracing the retail trader. Uh, now going on a YouTube show with the voice of the AMC Trader Online YouTuber, Trey Collins. The stronger AMC is as a company, the more people who bet against the company should be concerned. We've raised uh, billions of dollars uh, over the past 10 months. Mm. Uh, and we have almost $2 billion of cash in the bank. Adam Aaron is setting the bar in terms of CEOs, you know, reaching out to retail investors and caring about what the retail investor is asking for. They've raised well over a billion dollars in 2021 alone, which is really going to help set them up for the next one, two, five, ten 10 years. Well, now, while Aaron and the Reddit crowd remain bullish against the shorts, Wall Street essentially moving to the sidelines here. Mudrick Capital, uh, the hedge fund that made headlines for investing and then immediately selling stock earlier this week, is pulling out entirely. Faber says the firm has exited both its debt and equity positions. Sell sides at a loss. Stock is 50 uh, above 50 today. But uh, Webb Bush price target 750 from 650 uh, says maybe $10. And B of A basically just throwing in the towel completely moves to a no rating on Bed Bath, terminates coverage D of GME. Quote, investors should no longer rely upon our previous investment opinion or price objective. So uh, with fewer sell side ratings, we're left with what the head of the Ape Army thinks the valuation should be. You know, I'm reminded, guys, of a few years ago. Do you remember when Elon Musk took a question from a YouTube analyst on the earnings call and Wall Street analysts, they sort of threw up their arms and revolt. And they said, how could Elon Musk spend 20 minutes with a non-Wall Street analyst? And the writing was on the wall back then. Take a look. I mean, Adam Aaron speaking directly now to a YouTube 
uh, personality. And, you know, the YouTube personality, Trey Collins, getting some really interesting information out of him as well, John. And what we're seeing here is just this changing landscape that we've actually been seeing over the last few years, intensified by AMC and GameStop, a new generation of investors that are thinking about value very creatively. And I think will affect the way that investing continues, even in the companies, the big tech companies with real fundamentals going forward. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think this AMC thing, <laughs> it's a great movie, but AMC is no Tesla. This is not a tech stock. This is probably a real estate play. It's a reopening play. People do want to see movies again. But the idea that this is worth 52 plus, I mean, hey, you know, maybe if you think it but is, John. go ahead. But this is not Tesla. Look, this is one of those cultural moments, Deirdre, I think. It's kind of like we're, we're going to look back on this. It's like iOmega or AOL Time Warner or the Groupon IPO. We'll look back on 2021. But remember that? Wasn't that crazy how those stocks did that <laughs> thing? Uh, it didn't really matter in the long term. Before. I hear your that was point. weird. I get your point, but Tesla wasn't Tesla until a few years ago, until it was able to tap into its fans, turn them into investors, raise capital. And there's been a lot of operational uh, milestones that have been reached, gigafactories. That capital raise has allowed Tesla to become much more than it was a few years ago. If, If AMC had Elon Musk reinventing entertainment then maybe AMC would be... Tesla was always Tesla. Tesla always had Elon. It was always about electrification of cars and beyond that, changing the way transportation and energy work worldwide. This is not that. And it's an interesting investing moment. It's worth spending time on. But if you get distracted and you think this changes all the rules of investing, (laughs) that 2021 is some sea change, I mean, maybe you're right, but I don't think so. How can you be so certain AMC now has billions of dollars? Why can't they acquire or entice the next Elon Musk? I'm not saying that it will, but, you know, this idea of them being able to raise capital by bringing their fans, speaking directly to them into the mix, just opens up a whole world of possibilities that perhaps Wall Street, typical Wall Street analysts haven't thought of. And Carl, isn't that exactly what some of the analysts have done today? Thrown in the towel and said, listen, we can't judge this thing anymore because there are other factors at play here. Who's to say that that doesn't start to affect other companies and some of the benefits and drawbacks that may go along with that, especially in terms of corporate governance? John, you're right in a sense. Who knows that they're going to make good decisions? They could make stupid ones. Uh I do agree that um, the the practice of raising enough capital to get escape velocity and truly think outside the box the way Tesla has is clearly what Adam Aaron has in mind. Uh, the question is how many followers he's going to have on the sell side who are willing to think that broadly uh, about it. And we have a couple fewer on that front today. You know, the perfect person to ask about how this is Dan Niles of the Satori Fund, who joins us this morning to talk about AMC and pockets of froth and the market at large. Dan, happy Friday. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Carl. So 30,000 feet, it seems to me your view is that, A, these pockets of froth or whatever you want to call it aren't new. Um, They're comparable to things that we saw a decade ago or even before that. They're a function of money supply, I think, is your view. Um, I guess the question is, do do they bother you? Do do you think it makes people question uh, the systemic health of the market at, at large? Well, there's sort of two answers to that. I mean, as you brought up, I mean, people think this is new. It completely isn't. If you go back to a Fortune magazine cover that I sent you, it said Trader Nation, and that was 1999. And one of the taglines was, they can break you or make you rich. 
So that's what we're going through today. And this was in 1999. Um, so it's not new. What's new is the fact that these traders are armed with stimulus checks. They can organize uh, more easily on things like Wall Street bets. They can work from home and there's no cost trading. So those are the differences. But, you know, this has happened in the past. I think it's a good thing what's going on, because if this gets people into the market, only about 55 percent of the population owns stocks. It's the greatest wealth creator, you know, over time that there is. And so if it gets people interested in investing, that's great. What I don't like is when you have people sort of taking out mortgages on their homes and putting themselves in risk if the thing you know, collapses. You want to be able to you know, invest what you can afford to lose if you're going to play in something like this, because it, it is just gambling. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that if that gets you interested in the markets, but you don't want to put your family at risk. And that's where I have an issue right. with some of the advice being given. So the activity and the price action and the tolerance for volatility and the different constituencies, whether that's good or bad, um, I wonder, is it making you bend the rules, your traditional playbook rules, because things that you thought were largely impossible, huge uh, dilution uh, resulting in a higher price, for example, uh, aren't happening the way they have in legacy times. So are you having to change the way you think about the market? You know, not really. I mean, I, I've, I've been doing this, unfortunately, or fortunately, long enough where I started in the business <laughs> in 90. Um, and I remember 1990, you may remember this, some of you, but you had a biotech boom in the late 80s where people, every company was going to cure cancer. And so, you know, you had that going on back then and you had this big boom and then you had the recession, things collapsed. 2000, you obviously had the Internet boom. And some of you may remember this, but companies would change their names and just put dot com at the back of their names. Mm -hmm. and the stocks would double overnight. So that's not any different than what's going on right now. I mean, it's just, you know, you have a generation of traders, some that weren't even born back in the late 90s. So, um, you know, so but what it's making me do differently to your to your other part of your question is that on names where I go, OK, there's a large retail component. There's a large short interest. It might be something targeted by Wall Street. bets. for now. I'm sort of saying, OK, just stay away from that. But my view is, is pretty simple. When we get to the point, and I think we will by late this year, when the Fed starts to take away the easy money. Because don't forget, the Fed balance sheet last year expanded by 77 percent. Money supply right now is up 18 percent. The prior peak was 14. That money supply number had gotten up to 27 percent. So that tells you how much free money is just floating around, driving up everything. When yeah. the Fed backs off of that with tapering, I think that's when you can go in and say, OK, we can potentially go after and short some of these highly overvalued names because then the free money starts to disappear and you actually start to contract some of that free money, and that's when things start to get dangerous on the downside. Right now, you know, there's nothing that says AMC stock can't double, triple, quadruple from here, sure. much like GameStop, right? GameStop yeah. went from six bucks to 250 or so today. So you want to stay away from this stuff right now, I think, unless you're doing it in very small size and, Dan, and you have a basket of them. Dan, that, that's sort of what I'm getting at here is there is actual innovation that is happening in technology in the world that public companies are doing. Like in the past, we had client server. That changed the world. Internet e-commerce. Yes, that changed the world. Mobile changed the world. Cloud has changed the world. Crypto and Bitcoin could be changing the world in finance. But I don't think I haven't heard an argument or seen anything in AMC and GameStop, those trades that are happening. 
it's interesting. And as you said, you know, the, the liquidity and the stimulus and interest rates probably have something to do with it. Does it have implications for the entire market and that every company in the cycle of innovation is going to have to react to? I, I don't think so. I don't see it. Yeah, no, that, that's not something that's going to have to have happen. Um, the one thing also I'd remind viewers, and I've, I've said this before, is, you know, as you rightly pointed out, John, like e-commerce changed the world. Amazon's stock in 1999 peaked at 106 bucks a share. They were doing $1.6 in revenues. Over two years, the revenues doubled from $1.6 billion to $3.1 billion. The stock went from 106 to 6 over that over a two-year span of time as the whole tech bubble imploded and NASDAQ went down 79%. So things may change the world. It doesn't mean that they're not vastly overvalued at any point in time. And that includes real companies like Amazon or Tesla or you pick your favorite name. And certainly AMC is not going to change the world. Neither is GameStop. So, you know, right now they could keep going up a lot more. But at some point, if an Amazon can go down 95 percent with revenues doubling, you're going to have a real problem in, in names that aren't going to change the world. And it's just a matter of time and being patient. So, Dan, if AMC and GameStop, they don't change the world or change their industries, would you allow that they may at least change the way companies communicate with their investor base? Uh, do you think that we have seen CEOs speak directly to the retail investors in the same way that we have seen Adam Aaron go directly to them and Elon Musk? Is that a trend that could be here to stay? Well, I mean, social media, quite honestly, started that trend. I mean, if you go all the way back, you know, people have been, I mean, Netflix, right? Reed Hastings has been very great about putting out interviews on the Internet, et cetera. So this has been going on for a while. Where I, We're obviously talking about this is you've got stocks that, you know, GameStop started before the pandemic at six bucks and now it's at 250. I mean, if I'm a CEO looking at that, I want to know, wow, how can I do that? And then raise money at those kind of valuations. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculously cheap money, right? So, I mean, your job as a CEO, I mean, they're, don't get me wrong, they're putting out the risks of, you know, there's a lot of things that could be making the stock vastly overvalued, may have nothing to do with our business fundamentals, and they're raising money, and, you know, you have a right, if you want to, to give them money at $50 a share or at $250 a share if it's GameStop, and that's your right to gamble with that, and it's their right as a company to warn you of all the risks and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to raise money and, and go from there. Those retail traders have saved both AMC and GameStop. There's no question about it. There's, that's the only reason these companies are surviving today. They were able to raise money at incredible valuations. And so those CEOs should be really grateful to the retail trade. Yeah, and I think um, Aaron especially uh, and Cohen, their ability to adapt to that environment uh, is one reason why those companies may live on. Uh, you're absolutely right, Dan. Absolutely. Um, a lot to get to for next time. We really appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Dan Niles. You too. Thank you. And Big Show continues. The CEO of Asana, DocuSign, PagerDuty, all coming up this hour. Tech Check, just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? 
or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Get a gut check on Bitcoin taking a big hit this morning following a tweet from Elon Musk posting hashtag Bitcoin with the broken heart emoji and a meme of a couple breaking up. Our friend and Bitcoin bull pomp throwing some shade on the price change this morning. He tweets, imagine selling an asset, D, because a rich guy tweeted a meme. (laughs) You know, Carl, perhaps the biggest offense of Musk's tweet was that he related Bitcoin to Lincoln Park, excuse me, and thus, I might say, painting Bitcoin as uncool. Anyways, let's move on to earnings. DocuSign, take a look at shares. They are up about 15% right now, rallying following beats on the top and bottom lines. An upbeat outlook also driving that surge as a pandemic winner sees continued growth ahead. With us now in a Tech Check exclusive is DocuSign CEO Dan Springer. Dan, good morning and thank you for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So one thing that stuck out in the quarter to me, and I know many analysts as well, was the customer ads hitting a record even as we head into a post-pandemic world. Can you keep that sustainable? What do you attribute it to this past quarter as well? Yeah, I think we see it's customer demand because uh, more and more companies are saying they need to digitally transform their business. And whether that's in the pandemic or post-pandemic, whatever our kind of new normal will be, uh, you know, I think companies are saying they have to take advantage of these digital technologies that allow them to save money, uh, have better customer experiences and really get that time to revenue faster. So we're seeing that same phenomenon, that same momentum in the marketplace. And we're very bullish, uh, as you saw with the very strong guide, as you alluded to, uh, that we're going to have a significant growth ahead. Can you sustain that pace, continue to hit record customer ads? I know you said last night that, you know, this is a big ocean. You guys are only in the early innings. Yeah, I think I think you hit the, the, the answer to the question is really implicit in the way you asked it around the TAM. We think the addressable market here is huge and we think we're well less than 10 percent penetrated. So for us, it's really going to be about execution. And if we continue to scale our field organization the way we have the last several years, and I believe we can continue to scale that organization, the opportunity is there if we execute. So we're, again, very bullish that we'll continue to have that customer add. We just passed a million customers, uh, which we're you know, proud to announce, which is a huge uh, you know, thank you for all the DocuSigners for making that happen out there. Uh, but we think it's just the beginning because in the end, we believe every company should be using DocuSign. And there's a whole lot more out there. Dan, how has customer behavior changed during this period, perhaps in in ways that might remain? And also, I mean, I I remember visiting you years ago in San Francisco and all the building going on. Uh, Apple is planning to have workers return to the office on specific days. What's your plan for that? So we actually believe that the construct about thinking about DocuSign is less about whether people are in the office or whether they're working from home. We see ourselves as a big participant in what we call the anywhere economy, John. And our view is that people are going to need to, both consumers and businesses, be able to transact with people wherever they want to do their agreements. And so we don't see a real change to our business if people go more back to the office because we think that the benefits they get from using the DocuSign technologies are really not determined by by where they are. Uh, So from that standpoint, it doesn't make us any um, less bullish as more people return back 
to the market. And that, that more secular trend that we see uh, driving the adoption of our technologies is because people are seeing those benefits of the cost savings, the time savings, that time to revenue. And then again, their customers having a better experience. Mm. One of the reasons we have a you know an NPS score that's in the 70s is because our customers know that their customers get value using our software. And that makes them want to use more DocuSign. And what about the ways that customers are using the product, the time they're spending with it, perhaps the specific features they're using? Has that changed over the past year in ways that you expect to stick? Yeah, I think the general answer is the core things that brought us to this dance, and particularly on the e-signature side, and we can talk more about CLM and the broader DocuSign agreement cloud. But if you focus on signature, which, as I said, is what brought us to the dance, and it is the primary driver of our revenue today, uh, those, those use cases have not dramatically changed. Each company's on an adoption curve, and they might start with straightforward use cases like signing customer contracts. But over time, they realize there's other benefits, like when they send out employment agreements, and they realize that that's a great way to efficiently bring people uh, online into their company. Um, and so I think that we're seeing that those use cases aren't changing dramatically, but each company is going deeper and deeper with us uh, into the rest of their enterprise. Dan, last question. What's the biggest obstacle to DocuSign adopting blockchain-powered smart contracts? Is it still cost, as you referred to a few months ago? Yeah, I do believe, well, so separate smart contracts from blockchain. I think there's two slightly separate uh, conversations. On the blockchain standpoint, which we would use primarily and do use through Ethereum as an opportunity for storage of agreements, uh, and, and some of our customers have said they're interested in that. But as we did discuss before, it's much more expensive to do that than the core DocuSign storage technology reason today. But as the scale gets better and better, I think there is going to be more opportunity to increase that. But smart contracts, and is we just scale- maybe announced, oh, go ahead. Is the scale getting better? Yeah, the scale is getting bigger, and I think blockchain will get there. I still think that's a year to 18 months out before a significant number of our customers would say, we really want to be storing on blockchain, given the cost differential. But it, it will continue to come down. But on the smart contract side, uh, we just announced the clause acquisition. We believe there's a lot of software development we can do to make it easier for people to use agreements in a code you know, format versus just fixed uh, terms. So we can actually create smart contracts that will change over time and allow you to modify your behavior without having to go back uh, and edit them. So that's an exciting part of the platform that will happen separate uh, from the blockchain. Dan, thanks for coming on to break down the quarter. Dan Springer of DocuSign, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, Asana founder, before that Facebook co-founder Dustin Dustin Moskovitz is next as his company Asana comes off a strong quarter. A lot more tech check straight ahead. Stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Resetting here at the bottom of the hour. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. In a moment, John's exclusive interview with Facebook's co-founder, Dustin Moskovitz. His second act, Asana, getting a nice pop this morning on the back of an earnings beat. And that's helping the Tech Check work from anywhere index, which has just gone positive for the week, helped by DocuSign, Zoom, and Oracle, all higher. Uh, first, though, let's get a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Here's what's happening at this hour. The U.S., as we know now, adding 559,000 jobs in May. That's more than twice the number in April, but still below forecasts. The unemployment rate falling to 5.8 percent. President Biden says that more needs to be done to grow the economy, but that the U.S. is on a strong course. No other major major economy in the world is growing as fast as ours. No other major economy is gaining jobs as quickly as ours. It's due in no small part, first of all, the cooperation of the American people in responding to my effort to get COVID under control, wearing masks initially and getting vaccinated. And it's no small part to the bold action we took by passing the American Rescue Plan. The FDA says that Regeneron's COVID treatment can now be given by injection. Instead of more complicated infusions, the antibody drug has been found to reduce hospitalizations and deaths among COVID patients with mild to moderate symptoms. And if you know someone who has trouble taking their eyes off their phones, and who among us doesn't, you may want to tell them about this. A South Korean industrial designer has come up with a third eye that alerts users of objects before they run into them. That's um, a very different interpretation of third eye. John, I'll send it back to you. But useful, it seems. Oh, yeah, Rahel, uh, thank yeah, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm getting you for Christmas. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rahel Solomon, thank you. Sure. Shares of Asana jumping higher this morning, now up about 7%. The work collaboration software company beat expectations for revenue growth and had a smaller loss than expected, forecasting second quarter sales over $81 million. I spoke with the company's founder and CEO, Dustin Moskovitz, also happens to be a co-founder of Facebook, Moskovitz discussing the company's path to profitability. He told me investors can expect to see him balance spending and that drive to profits as Asana continues to grow. I think balance is the, the operative word there, so it's, it's going to be a little bit of both. Uh, we intend to make continual uh, progress towards uh, uh, profitability, maybe not every quarter on quarter, but over the longer arc, uh, we do see it as, as a march in the right direction. Uh, But additionally, we have a great track record of being able to find great investment opportunities, uh, pursue them, deliver more value for customers, and improve our growth. And so when we see those those great opportunities, we're going to take them. Uh, So I think that you should expect uh, Asana to to continue uh, spending pretty heavily, but as long as our our revenues are growing, we're able to get leverage on that spend over time uh, and continue to make our way towards profitability. More large deals, a particular highlight of the quarter just reported. Now, looking beyond these quarterly results, I also asked him to weigh in on whether companies should allow or encourage social and political discussions at work and even on collaboration platforms like Asana. This, of course, following the blow up at Basecamp weeks ago after CEO Jason Fried announced that employees can no longer share their societal and political discussions at work. Here's what Moskowitz had to say. Certainly there's been a lot of activity in the news recently uh, you, you know, I would differentiate a little bit between the different kinds of uh, digital communication. I, I think that the 
uh, least good solution for really uh, charged conversations or conversations about politics or something like that uh, is using text, uh, whether it's uh, emails or, or chats or even uh, threads in Asana. Uh, I think that you just lose a lot in terms of conveying uh, body language and emotional tone. It's just very easy uh, for people to misinterpret what's, what's written down. Um, it, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, video conferencing can be uh, effective depending on the topic. But I think best of all is to be in a room together uh, and, you know, literally be able to, to share the same space. I think that really helps with uh, feeling like you're reminding each other that, that you're on the same team and you're not literally, uh, you know, facing off like you, you are sort of physically when you're in video conferencing. Um, so being able to sit with people and sit next to people uh, and have a more organic conversation with natural control flow, uh, I think that's the, the healthiest possible way to have very difficult conversations. For the full interview, you can scan the QR code on your screen. There it is. Uh, head over to our LinkedIn page. Carl, um, you know, tech isn't a solution always for everything, and that's especially powerful, I think, coming from a guy who helped to found Facebook and who does a work collaboration platform. Sometimes it's nice to just actually sit down with someone in real life. It's true, and I think uh, it's kind of encouraging to see the Facebook diaspora de have a second act, as we called it earlier, uh, because certainly um, Facebook cha changed the world in ways that maybe few other companies have, but there's always more to be done, especially when some of these early founders were so young at the time. Yeah, and investors taking to it, I mean... Asana went public at a direct listing reference price of $27 a share, now at nearly $40. And guys, we talked about this yesterday, but this sort of the middling tech companies like Box and Dropbox that haven't really lived up to expectations. And John, I find it really interesting that Dropbox has gone into two very hot areas, e-signatures and collaboration. But investors have not really appreciated that push, perhaps because it doesn't break out those businesses in its quarterly results. But you see DocuSign and Asana really get a lot more love from investors and, you know, shoot up from their IPO prices while Dropbox sort of continues not far from where it went public just a few years ago. Yeah, those businesses that uh, the likes of a Dropbox are incubating inside themselves and perhaps they're not ready yet to break out. It's almost like what you get with some of those older tech companies that have a new product and yet they're still judged on what their core business has been. Now, that's not judging uh, Dropbox and Box and whether those efforts are going to be successful or not. Certainly, some of the things that uh, companies like Apple and Microsoft have incubated have turned into big businesses, uh, you know, Amazon, the cloud. Uh, but for, for a time, <laughs> you got to prove it out, and you're not necessarily going to get that valuation bump right off the bat, D. Yeah, and when, when that business is ready, then maybe you tell investors. I'm always asking Drew Houston when they're going to break out some of those hello sign numbers. Anyways, guys, coming up on the show, Bill Ackman is back, and so is his back. <laughs> we unpack the flack. Too much? Next. Plus, watch CrowdStrike feeding on earnings and revenue and a subs boost, taking that stock higher this morning, but it has since given up those gains, now down by about 3%. A lot more tech checks straight ahead. Stay with us. Well, you've got ape enthusiasm, but then there's Tondard disappointment. Shares of Pershing Square Tontine, Bill's Ackman's back, falling.
some 10 percent this morning as Tondards, what some followers of the SPAC call themselves online. They may be left feeling a little bit let down by the announced SPAC target. 10% of Universal Music Group for around $4 billion. Now, at one point, Airbnb was reported to be a potential target. Universal Music is more of a mature business, almost 90 years old. It's already going public, and it's already investable through French parent company Vivendi. So, uh, guys, a bit of a head-scratcher from Bill Ackman this morning. Maybe a safe bet, but there was so much mystery around the SPAC. What would he do? Would it be Airbnb? Would it be Bloomberg? To settle on Universal Music. I mean, Carl, I know you love music. <laughs> so I'm interested in your take. Well, I mean, we were talking about it with Faber earlier this morning. You know, Ackman's got a history of uh, going into retail and certainly real estate. But the fact that it's media is fascinating. And only Bill, John, could have made the SPAC process with all the warrants and the evolving SEC regulatory guidelines even more puzzling than it already is. <laughs> yeah, Carl, I mean, this is Christmas socks. <laughs> When you wanted a PS5, right, you're all excited, you're ripping open the box, the SPAC box, and you expect to see a <laughs> PS5 in its socks. Now, they might be very nice socks. They might come in handy at those family gatherings or even at church, but you're <laughs> hoping for the PS5. But, you know, when, when, when Netflix or Disney or you know, anybody else buys content, people get excited. But Ackman buys content, Carl, and, and it's Christmas socks. Not fair. <laughs> we look forward to a lot more granularity on what exactly Bill has constructed there. We're going to take a break. Pager duty stock was a 2020 darling, as you know, but uh, in the broader cloud sell-off, it's down 30 from the February highs. Jennifer Tejada is going to join us on the other side of this break. Watch Broadcom. Kind of got lost in all the news today, but better than expected outlook. Exciting 5G. Big earnings beat. All the catalysts behind that stock's move to the upside this morning, better than 2%. Tech Check, back in two minutes. PagerDuty out with a beat, raising its outlook as well. Still, the stock is down on today's trade. The company's continuing to spend as it grows. A company now working with more than 60% of Fortune 100 companies. And PagerDuty CEO Jennifer Tejada joins us now. Uh, Jen, good to see you. Um, this, is, this is interesting to me because your company is one of those that isn't followed by a ton of analysts. You had some things on the call and with the report that I want to get into. So total annual recurring revenue, annualized recurring revenue for customers spending more than a million dollars was up 59% year over year. Uh, that's interesting. Put that in the context of the spending that you continue to do to grow. Yes, well, we're really thrilled with the large customer momentum we're seeing. As you mentioned, our customers over a million dollars grew substantially for us. And we also saw particular strength again in international, with international up 38% year on year, now making up 25% of our total uh, revenue. So, you know, very strong performance by all of our teams in theaters. And uh, we're, we're pulling forward some investment in the year from a timing perspective to bring our annual summit conference, which has historically been in September, forward to June. So on June 22nd, we'll be talking about the future of work and the future of pager duty with a number of great guests like David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, Armand Dagar, who is the CTO and co-founder of HashiCorp, and Adam Grant, who's one of my favorite best-selling authors. He recently wrote Think Again. So you've got that. You've also got an analyst day coming up at the end of the month, do you not? I think we talked last quarter about uh, other costs 
coming back online as things open back up. Uh, you know, people are getting on planes again, traveling, trying to connect with customers. Is that happening as well? Well, look, we continue to be a very efficient business with operating cash flow, again, positive for seven of the last eight quarters. And we're going to invest thoughtfully so that we can grow in a sustainable way, efficiently. And frankly, we're pretty excited about the opportunity to accelerate the business. We expect it to grow you know, above 30 percent again. And, yeah, I think we'll see some of the travel come back. We're, we're thrilled to be able to host another virtual conference. Uh, this spring, but hope to start getting people back together in the fall. I think more importantly, with the business seeing momentum, uh, we are going to invest in that acceleration and invest in particular in new innovation and AI ops automation, where we're really helping companies uh, master the operational requirements associated with being digital first, making sure that they can detect and resolve real work in, in the seconds that are important to consumers that won't won't wait a single second for you to get it right. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, the uh, the mindset of the customer right now, uh, Jennifer. You know, John talks about the expenses that they're going to incur as you reopen, but there's been a lot of expense control and savings that will come from, for example, uh, less uh, fewer real estate footprints. I wonder if you think that's leading to more optimism from clients about at least the size. Of their, uh, of their deals come the fall? Do you think there'll be that kind of tailwind? We are definitely, we definitely see hybrid work as a new tailwind for PagerDuty in addition to digital acceleration, cloud migration, and DevOps transformation. And we are seeing our customers think about investing for the long-term CIOs and CTOs, choosing PagerDuty as one of the few key platforms that they're gonna rely on going forward because our customers' businesses have essentially become digital businesses. They can't afford not to make those investments. And I think you are starting to see some of that shift in expense into long-term strategic IT investing to position these companies well for the future. Jen, good morning. It's Deirdre. Good to see you. Uh, now, I've been tracking the number of times the word platform is mentioned on the earnings calls of some of the work from home winners over the last year or so. Last night, platform was mentioned 23 times on your call. That was around the same amount of times as I heard it on the Zoom call earlier in the week. What are investors missing about PagerDuty's post-pandemic chapter or proposition and moving beyond your DevOps core? Well, we're thrilled to see companies and customers adopting us beyond DevOps. And at the same time, you know, we are one of the most influential platforms for developers on the planet. Uh, we're a domain agnostic environment, meaning we connect to over 560 of the most important technologies in the world, which sort of makes us a superset of all the observability and APM uh, and monitoring providers out there. We help customers really understand what's happening in their digital world and quickly manage it. I think importantly, we've been able to extend our reach beyond DevOps into security, which as you know, is uh, a very challenging environment right now. And more recently customer service, where we saw our customer service users expand 41% in the last quarter year on year. And with companies like DoorDash and Netflix out systems adopting PagerDuty for customer service and Zscaler, Cisco and Okta, already having PagerDuty teams, PagerDuty uh, customer service teams using PagerDuty. So really starting to see some uh, good momentum in use cases outside of PagerDuty or outside of DevOps. Long term, I think what we'll see is our customers 
becoming quite inventive and creative and leveraging our platform anywhere they have unpredictable, unstructured, but mission critical real-time work. All right. Uh, Jennifer, we look forward to hearing what you have to share at the end of the month with uh, your ecosystem and with analysts and investors. Jen Tejada, PagerDuty CEO. Thanks. Thank you. Great to see you all. Some interesting news on Square from Jack Dorsey just a moment ago. He is tweeting live from the Bitcoin conference in Miami, where we will be live after the break. Tech Check continues in just two minutes. Jack Dorsey making some news on Bitcoin a few moments ago, sending shares of Square higher. He says uh, Square is considering making a hardware wallet for Bitcoin. If we do it, we would build it entirely in the open from software to hardware design and in collaboration with the community. In a later tweet, he writes, we don't want more passwords on Post-its. He's tweeting from Miami where he's set to speak at Bitcoin 2021, which some are calling the biggest Bitcoin event in history. CNBC.com's Mackenzie Sigalos joins us live from Miami. I guess we should have expected some headlines, Mackenzie, but can you tell us what the vibe is there generally? Yes. Uh, so thanks, Carl. 50,000 people are expected to head to the city of Miami for, as you said, what's being billed as the biggest Bitcoin event in history. Now, I'm told by event organizers that they capped out at 12,000 attendees, which means that the other 38,000 people that are here are really here for the very many side events that are happening. And let me tell you, there are a ton. I flew in yesterday afternoon and literally spent eight hours traversing Miami, going from event to event. Uh, there are NFT gallery openings and events that are dedicated to BitCloud, which is the first decentralized social network. So it's really been quite an experience. <laughs> Mackenzie, I can't imagine how many uh, business cards or you know, virtual cards that you are collecting at this conference. But you know, we've been talking about Elon Musk this morning with some controversial tweets, especially among the Bitcoin community. Are people talking about him? Do they, you know, is he as divisive a figure down there or have they sort of moved on? Oh, no, he, he remains very much a divisive figure within the crypto community. And, you know, people don't think that Elon Musk or really anyone, not even governments, have the potential to stop Bitcoin. They see his messaging a few weeks ago about Bitcoin's environmental impact is very much a temporary setback. And, you know, I ask people, are they worried about the recent sell-off? And the resounding answer is no. Everyone is hodling their Bitcoin, which means holding on for dear life. Yeah, Mackenzie, how, how nerdy is it there? in Miami. It's a nascent tech culture. They're talking about it as an important Silicon Valley alternative. I wonder how much of the focus in this conference is on the tech and, you know, the kind of deep coding stuff and how much of it is is not. Yeah. Well, one thing that's really important to note about this conference is that it is very much Bitcoin specific. So it's not a crypto conference per se. You've got a lot of Bitcoin maximalists who believe that Bitcoin and not necessarily other cryptocurrencies are going, they think that Bitcoin is the future of finance. And so with that in mind, it's it's Bitcoin 100%. And as you said, yes, there are a lot of coders here and like the top uh, people in this space that are very much in the weeds of blockchain. So that's a huge conversation as well and talking about the functionality there and and what's possible. So I've been learning a ton. I'm new to the tech beat. I've I've been in this uh, tech reporter role for three weeks and I'm asking a lot of questions. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. I guess my last question, Mackenzie, would be if you... Uh, landed on planet Earth from outer space and came straight to this conference, 
uh, X Bitcoin, what would you think is the most important coin? Oh, so without Bitcoin, like what's the what's the next one I would choose? Exactly. What, what what does get the most buzz right now? Okay. Everybody's talking about Ethereum because Ethereum 2.0 is this release that's imminent, and Ethereum is really that. So the the underlying blockchain to the coin Ether has ton of functionality. They've got something called smart contracts, which is what fuels this world of decentralized finance or DeFi. And so that is the hot topic because people are excited about these apps that they can build on top of Ethereum. So I think if I were to parachute in from another planet, I'd, I'd be asking about Ether. Wow. Fascinating. Uh, what a statement it is about how the asset has uh, gained acceptance. Just that live shot alone. I'm Mackenzie Sigalos. Thank you. Carl, I, I knew it would be Ether or Dogecoin, so I'm kind of glad to hear it was the latter. <laughs> Meanwhile, take a look at Ford landing a new street-high price target over at JPM this morning. Monthly EV sales up almost triple, but that hasn't been enough to keep the stock in the green. It's currently down by about half a percent. Tesla, meanwhile, is higher, breaking a five-day losing streak. And Google is confirming that a top diversity executive will change roles continued fallout after anti-Semitic language used in a 2007 blog post that was brought to light. More context around that story at CNBC.com. Tech Check is back after one more quick break. One more thing, Apple gearing up for its annual Worldwide Developer Conference on Monday. The event's going to again be held virtually. Wolf Research out with a fresh note, cautioning the event is unlikely to, quote, blunt the deceleration narrative. But Wolf does expect product upgrades to reinforce the company's competitive moat. The event traditionally showcases updates to Apple's operating systems, iOS, macOS, but there are reports that we could see a new MacBook Pro with an Apple-designed processor. Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty says that combination could make WWDC potentially more significant as a catalyst than in years past. Carl, uh, interestingly, Apple facing its sixth straight down week, definitely not behaving like a meme stock. Yeah, trying to avoid that fate. We will see you Monday from the NYSC. Have a great weekend. Let's get to the judge. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.